With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everybody and welcome back to episode number three of the Serial Dynasty podcast. I'll take a moment to thank you again, all of you listeners, for all of your support and participation in the show. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, the show could not happen without you, the listeners. Thank you not only for downloading the episodes and listening to them, but also for all of your Twitter interaction, your emails, all the participation that's made this show possible. Also, thank you for the reviews on iTunes. You have helped us get into the new and noteworthy section of iTunes, so I appreciate that to all of you. And also, I'm very thankful for everyone who has shared and talked about the Serial Dynasty podcast that's helped to grow us to the point where we're at now. So if it's something you're enjoying, please continue to tell all your friends. The more listeners we get, the more participation we get, which ultimately leads to more content for the show. Today's show is sponsored in part by Audible.com. Audible.com carries over 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. And Audible is offering for any Serial Dynasty listener to get a free audiobook. If you're interested in a free audiobook, just simply go to audibletrial.com slash Serial Dynasty. That's audibletrial.com slash Serial Dynasty. Doesn't cost you anything. Go on over and get a free book. I want to mention that not only is Audible.com a sponsor of the show, but it's also a product that I use. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and there's several days of the week where I'm waiting for the release of a new episode of my favorite podcast. And to bridge the gap, I always have an audiobook on my phone from Audible. I'm currently listening to Christopher Moore's The Serpent of Venice, a little comedy to get away from the uh, true crime and things that I'm listening to on the podcast right now. But please, if you're interested in a free book, uh, it also does help us out if you go to audibletrial.com slash Serial Dynasty. And I want to give a special thanks to Johnny Rose. The music that you're hearing today, all of the theme music, scoring music, all the cues. Um, after the last episode, I had asked if any listeners would be interested in submitting some music. And I went with Johnny Rose, who runs Slightly Subversive Music. He submitted to me three original songs for use on the show, so so very, very much appreciative, Johnny, for sending us that content. Uh, makes the show a little bit easier to listen to, other than just me droning on for an hour and a half. So again, that is Johnny Rose from Slightly Subversive Music, has provided all of the music for the Serial Dynasty podcast. Alright, we have a lot to talk about after Undisclosed episode number three, which released this past Monday, Jay's Day. That episode is summed up very well from an email that I got from listener Mary. Uh, You'll remember Mary sent us an email in episode number two. Uh, She was the one that said, uh, has a yucky feeling about Don Ugg. Mary's pretty good at these one-liners, so we'll start the show with Mary's email. Hi, Bob. Great second episode. I can't wait to hear you talk about Jay's police interviews via Undisclosed. Um, um, tap, tap. I mean, stinky, huh? Thank you, Mary, for that. And yes, stinky is right. I was so excited to see that Susan had dug into those interviews and those tapes. 
as I mentioned in episode two, a serial dynasty. That's been the big bugaboo for me uh, listening to serial is it just seems so obvious to me there was police corruption, that the police were manipulating these witnesses. Um, they were putting ideas in their head. Um, and also that it was clear to me that Jay's story was not corroborated by the cell phone records, that in fact Jay's story was created based on the cell phone records. Um, there's just so much to talk about episode three and the cell phone records and the police interviews. And rather than just listening to me talk about it today, I thought, who better to discuss this with than Susan Simpson herself? So without further ado, I want to welcome our guest, Miss Susan Simpson from the Undisclosed Podcast team and The View from LL2. Is this the MVP of the Undisclosed Episode 3 podcast, Susan Simpson herself? <laughs> this is Susan, yes. Hey, thanks for, for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Uh, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Oh, this is, uh, I just led into before we called you on the podcast that, uh, a lot of questions from listeners and myself about Episode 3. And we thought, who better, who better to have on the show than you, Susan Simpson, the superstar? Well, I've got plenty of questions myself about episode three and what it all means. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, just listening to you. When you were discussing uh, the police and you were digging into the audio recordings of the interviews and things, I was sitting at my desk with one of my firefighters sitting across from me, and I'm banging on the table because I <laughs> I was so so excited that you actually dug into that because that's you know in, in talk, I've gotten my whole fire department now listening to serial and undisclosed. <laughs> Because they just get tired, of, they get tired of hearing me talk about it and don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but that's one that I've been over and over again. I've asked the um, the police that work in our in our building, and like, is is it possible that they led these witnesses that they were they were coaxing him along when he was interviewed and things like that? And I've and when you said listen to uh, the gap and listen closely in the gap right before it played, I had my pen on my desk and I'm tapping my desk going, I bet they're I bet they're showing showing them. Uh, showing him where to go on a chronology. So I was pretty stoked when you when you pulled that up and uh what amazing work for you to dig that far into it. I don't suppose uh, any of the cops that you work with or close to have uh, commented on it. No well none of that I've talked to you have listened to it have have listened to it yet. Um but I I I think I've convinced a few of them to do so. But you know, they've said kind of the same thing that I said in the last episode. It's like, you know, it's not that you know, cops are bad, but that doesn't mean there's not bad cops. And they said certainly not outside the realm of possibilities that uh, a police officer or a detective investigating, you know, would do something like that to help build their case. But it, for me, it's just what I can't wrap my brain around is the why. Have you guys gotten anywhere with the why, the the motive behind police doing that? The obvious motive, the ones probably underlying most everything going on, was simply the numbers and the stats and trying to clear off. A city that had a murder a day, essentially. So I mean, it's not like this is the only case they were dealing with, but they had, I mean, they were overworked, and they were understaffed, and the institutional pressures are pretty easy to see as to what could have resulted in this, you know, this conviction at all cost mentality. Um, but no, the idea of police bending the rules to get a conviction in Baltimore, especially this time period, isn't too hard to believe. Yeah, and that's. It just is, it's, it's frustrating to me. The more and more I, I'm, I'm listening, especially with Undisclosed and going back and listening to Serial, it's, it, at some point I take, have to take a step back and remember that we're talking about real people 
you know, it's like it's kind of this story, and then it's like these are real people, and then it it really just it bugs me so bad that um, Adnan's been sitting in prison for all this time, and for the longest time I had these questions, and I was wishy washy, and I had a feeling that he was innocent, but the more and more that I've dug up, and that you guys have dug up, it's like I'm now at this point I'm I'm a hundred percent convinced from the information that I have that he's innocent. And then I think about that, that he's been sitting in there for 15 years. It's just His entire adult life. He was still a minor when he went in. Yeah, and when you when you look at that human side of it, it's really, really, really frustrating for me. And then and then even looking at, um, I think about Hayes' family, and then, you know, and we're all talking about Jay and Jen and Don and all that. And then, you know, there's I've, I've heard people that are upset about or that, you know, these are people and you're digging into their lives and you're causing them all these problems. But then I think, you know, based on Jen and Jen and Jay's testimony, at best these are people that knew she was murdered, helped destroy evidence, and then kept it. And I think that's when I think about Hayes' parents. You know, as a as a father myself, I can only imagine you don't know where your child is, you don't know what's happened, you don't know if they're dead or alive, and and these people were sitting there with that knowledge, not letting them know what's going on. So it, on that side of it, it's kind of made me hard to feel bad for them at this point. But there's also the alternative explanation, and the one that seems stronger by the day, to be honest, which is that they didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, see, that's I was hoping we'd get there. Hopefully, dig out some spoilers for future undisclosed episodes. So, are, are you are you starting to lean that way that you're thinking that it's possible that they had absolutely nothing to do with it? Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, we do not have enough evidence to say either way if they had a connection or no connection, but. You know, if I had to make a call, my bet would be on no involvement whatsoever. So you think that the um, the police may have just completely fabricated this entire thing as far as Jay and Jen's involvement? I don't think they started out fabricating it. Um, it's not. I'm not sure if you listened to the This American Life episode on Jim Trainum, actually, on false confessions. If uh, not, you should. No, I will definitely um, do that. And he goes, he explains how it happened to him, how he got a false confession. And it's shockingly easy to do if you're interrogating someone in a way they interrogated Jay, which was to give them information and say, this happened, right? And then keep running with it until they agree with you. And then they have information to make a better story about it, too. So it's not that they knew necessarily, and they probably didn't know at the start at all, that their witness is not actually a witness. Um, but as it goes on and he gets more info and starts spinning more elaborate stories that seem more realistic, um, they both feed off each other. So why do you think that Jen or Jay would go along with it if they had no involvement whatsoever? I mean, why does anyone falsely confess to something? I mean, Jay did falsely confess. We have that on the record. We know for a fact that he did not conspire to commit murder on January 12th during that 18-second phone call. But he confessed to that when the cops tell him to. I mean, he starts off being like, well, no. And the cop says, but you did, right? And he says, okay, yes. So right there, that's a false confession. Right. going to do it once. Why not more? And we don't know what is getting out of it. Plenty of times there's false confessions, and there's no apparent benefit to the person doing it, other than that they're trying to escape the pressure, or they assume that later it'll get worked out. So sometimes motives... The person's stepping is hard to figure out. Or sometimes it's actually a more concrete benefit. You just don't know here if that's what was going on or what the motive might have been. 
Right. And then, you know, there's there's always that and actually some of the emails uh, had expressed this as well, uh, that there's a possibility of them having leverage on him because of his other crimes. And you think that might play into it? It could definitely play into it. It would not be the first time. Um, Baltimore. So the the next logical question was, which was not on my my list first to, to get here, is do you or and the undisclosed team have uh, a new suspect in mind? No, I mean I can't speak for anyone else. Um, I don't really like. I mean, I we're not in a place to have suspects because in many respects it's like our one of the investigation because pivotal was recorded, pivotal was taken down. It's like you just started the murder. Okay, right. now what? But now we can't even investigate basic details. So without that, it's hard to have a suspect. Um, for me, it's all about getting a better picture of what actually happened and hoping that leads towards the right answer. Okay, and, and along those lines, um, uh, one of the questions I had for you is, is how did you end up getting connected with Rabia and Colin? Um, kind of by accident or through Twitter. Um, she started reading my blog, and she retweeted a few times, and... I think eventually we ended up emailing to discuss. Like, I think they got a question for her or something. Um, so we started emailing and got friendly. And, yeah, it just kind of evolved until we decided to do a podcast together. Oh, that's awesome. Because her and Colin weren't connected uh, prior to Undisclosed either, were they? No, they weren't. So save the He was also blogging about the case. Um, no, his is the – uh, sorry, go ahead. I moved to the podcast. Um we were like, well, we want Colin to do it too. So we just asked him. He's like, sure, I'm in. Great. Now, do you guys all live in the same area, or are you having to record and kind of piece things together later? We're doing it all by state now. Um, Colin's South Carolina. Um, Robbie and I are both in the D.C. area, so we're pretty close. But, yeah, we've been um, recording over Skype, and it's we're learning. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, I, th- I think it's 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 fantastic. So when you guys record, you have to are you are you recording separately and then having to piece it together? No, it's all right now. Like we, we did try that the first time. It didn't work. Um, actually, it was a bad accident because we didn't get the recording right. Um, so now we just record everything together and we just use the same uh, same file, basically. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it sounds great, and you can definitely see the the quality getting better and better. And is uh, your sound guy? His name's Amir. Amar, yeah, he's Amar. great. He's all everyone involved has been a volunteer so far. Um, so we've had some like really great help from like the guy who made our theme. Um, and our logo and the map that we use—all people I've met through Serial. Oh, that's that's awesome, and and Amara's doing a, a fantastic job. I mean, you can just fantastic see fantastic job, yeah. Better and better. He's a miracle worker. <laughs> Especially having all the. I'm I'm going to be in in this episode. Actually, I had a listener email me and create music for us and send it in for this, and I'm. I'm actually, it's it's really cool, but I'm not looking forward to trying to figure out how to piece all that together and edit. <laughs> <laughs> Moving, getting getting kind of back into the uh, the case, some of the things that I'm I'm trying to piece through with the information that we have so far is I'm still, and maybe I'm crazy with this, I'm still hung up on that note in her car to Don. Um, the Don note. The Don note, right? Um, is do you know, and I think you'd you'd be the one that would have some of this information, was, um, did they ever dust it for fingerprints? Were there any on it? I would love to know that. Uh, unfortunately, they did, not very, they did not record very good notes about what fingerprinting was done or where prints are found or what exactly the situation was. Um, so it doesn't, there's no record of any printing. It's definitely possible there were prints there. Okay. Now, do you, um, 
yeah, it kind of goes par for the course, right, with the rest of the investigation. Do you, in your opinion, do you think the Don note is relevant to this at all? Are we, are we chasing something down a rabbit hole that we don't need to go down, or do you think it's relevant? I thought it was interesting. Something. I thought it was really relevant, um, which is why it's one of the things that got me looking into the whole wrestling match situation, because it was bothering me a lot, and I felt that there was something horribly wrong in an investigation where you have proof where the victim is going, and she never gets there. I mean, that's the first place you look. So, I mean, and I think that kind of answers the question as well. Why didn't the cops look into Dawn after finding that note? Well, maybe they knew that the note was not actually the clue that it looks to be. Right. Now, now, are you on the uh, the train of thought? Because I, I, I must be crazy because most people that I that I talk to, everybody is under the impression that, or the theory that that was a note that Hay had written to Dawn and, you know, she ended up staying and never gave it to him. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just, in my mind, that just doesn't make sense. For, for one thing, um, as I'm, I'm really trying to dig into the, these details, I think, wasn't it, it mentioned that, uh, when they found Hayes' car, like the inside was like immaculate? Like, no, no, no. It was, it was kind of like my car in high school. It was, <laughs> it was a little bit of a, you know. Well, that, that throws me. It my... had everything scared about, but not, not like, like it didn't, you know, gone through, but just, you know, messy, high school messy. Yeah, I must have mistook. Um, it, I think it was in a conversation from the docket uh, that you guys were interviewing, and maybe I mistook. Oh, the say, outside was very clean. It looked the outside of it looked shockingly. <laughs> so it was the tarnished. It was the outside. Well, then there goes my idea about because <laughs> so, yeah, I was under the yeah. impression she had the super clean car. I'm like, why would she keep a note that she never delivered for a week? But I guess that that makes a little. Oh more no, sense. she had receipts from like September, and the car was bought in September. Um, she had like some of the non's old paycheck stuffs from like October stuffed away in the corners. So, so if she never gave it to Don, it's 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 completely plausible that she would have kept that note just stuffed in her car somewhere. Yeah, it was in the trunk of her car. It was underneath the jacket. Oh, it was in the see. Then that didn't know that either. Like, I guess. And in my, there's also one one of the notes down in her car was actually like shoved under the trunk liner, but it's unclear if that's a Don note or another. Uh, card that was found, probably the card. So we don't know entirely, but it was somewhere in the trunk. Okay, so it wasn't up in the the passenger compartment. So um, do you kind of have that same same theory? And of course, this is obviously speculation that uh, it probably was a note that she um, was going to give to Don, ended up staying, and that would be the January fifth day, and then it just, she just had it still with her after that. I think so. That's my best bet. Is that she? I mean, we have we know that that afternoon she was in the Owens Mills area, and that was the day that Randallstown was playing Woodlawn at Randallstown. Okay. So, and that was one of the other things I was going to get. You mentioned in the undisclosed episode three that uh, you had credit card receipts that puts her, or maybe it would have been episode two, but there were credit card receipts that put her in the mall on the day of the Randallstown match. Is that why we're assuming that she didn't? That was the day that she didn't go to the wrestling match. Yeah. Okay. And we know that Don was working that day and got off at 6 p.m., so. Okay, so that, that all pieces out that she probably did see Don stay there, just had the note with her, and ended up tossing it in her mm-hmm. trunk. Mm-hmm. Well, that I'm, that really ruins my whole theory about <laughs> <laughs> about Don's jealous ex-girlfriend confronting her with the note. Uh, so we scratched that one off the list, or, or at least put it in the not-really-plausible pile of the list. Now, do we know... Um, 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I guess let, let me ask you this. Do you have any speculation whatsoever? And, and again, knowing that all these, this part of the conversation is speculative, um, do you feel, feel at all that Don is involved or at least should be looked at, should have been looked at more as a suspect? Oh, he should have looked at for sure. He should have been, I mean, top, I mean, at the time of the investigation, what the cops believed or said they believed was that Hay told a friend she was off to see Don, left the school, never gets there, or is never seen again, and they found a note in her car written to Don indicating she couldn't stay and see him. I mean, that should have made him suspect number one. Um, we know now that that seems like it didn't happen. The witness who says that, hey, someone went to see Dawn probably isn't recalling the right day, and that note probably wasn't written that day. So that goes a long ways towards reducing my concern with him as a suspect. Um, but based on thinking back then, he should have been a huge deal for them. Right. And then, you know, when we look at, what we knew then as opposed to what we know now, and that changed our perspective. But then that brings me back to thinking the mind of an investigator that I, I think that the police probably did know, or it's it's apparent that they did know more than they were disclosing that they knew then. Um, yes. You know, even when it comes to, you know, in their files that they had, or it was the prosecutor's file that they had Anand's email address and password, but never said anything about mm -hmm. it. And, you know, I was wondering with that. So, so does that mean they never bothered to check or they checked? It didn't check. It, it shows that he did log in, so they just threw it out and said, forget it and move on. Or, yeah, who knows? I mean, they could have checked, and we'll never know if they did or did not, or what they saw if they did. And now, um, do we know what kind of vehicle that Don drove? No. Well, Camaro. <laughs> a Fiero, is that what you said? A Camaro. A Camaro. Oh, that's right, Don with a Camaro. God, idiot. Stupid question. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um. And then, uh, so, I, and my next question was, what are your thoughts on Jen's involvement? But you've already, already told us that you're, you're kind of thinking less and less that Jen or Jay were involved. I think that whatever happened, I tend to think that Jen wasn't involved or very, very intentionally involved. Um, regardless of what Jay's status was, I think Jen was covering for him in some way. Yeah, that's, that's what it seemed to me that from the, of course, again, it's like every, Everything is up in the air right now because everything we thought we knew, we don't necessarily know. And if we're looking at through the uh, the lenses that it's possible, Jay just completely had nothing to do with it. Um, I, I'm not I, I'm not quite there yet, but um, you have a lot more information in front of you than I do too. That's that's I'm still I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the beginning of our conversation that it may be completely uninvolved. 
Yeah, she doesn't know anything. Like, nothing she's ever said indicates a deeper knowledge of what happened. I mean, her statements are all over the place. Um, I think in many ways the cops were kind of, their plans got fouled up because Jen's parents were smart enough to get her a lawyer. So they were kind of locked in. Unlike Jay, who they could bring back in time and time again to revise a statement. And she had a lawyer on hand, both for all of her interviews. I mean, the very first one. So... So they were limited in their ability to, like, give her to, you know, basically teach herself for trial. So they were stuck with her story. Yeah, they, they, she didn't have anybody there protecting her from their bullying yeah. and manipulation. Yeah, so that, that makes okay. a, a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's interesting, though, that after their, after Jen and Jay's first interviews, the police were still going with the Edmonton Avenue story for a while. Um, they kept saying until about March 15th that the front top was definitely in Edmonton Avenue. The whole best guy thing, we don't know what that's about. So they kind of write it out of their timeline. In their, in their police reports and all their memos, they just say Edmonton Avenue and not Best Buy. And then suddenly it's March and you're like, just kidding, it was Best Buy all along. Right. And, and, and do you have any uh, basis in the evidence for why they would have made that change? Uh, the cell phone records. They understood better how they worked. Okay, so then. So, they... when first, this is the first case these guys ever had with cell phones, cell phone records and location data. They didn't know what they were doing. Um, at the time of the first interview, they had it for like a few days. Um, and they were, they, they had no idea what they were doing with it. Um, they got basically everything they could get wrong, wrong. Um, a few weeks in, they had a better understanding. So, by the time of the second interview for Jay, um, second case one, they knew enough to know that the Edmonton Avenue story wasn't going to fly. So then they, they change the story to match the cell phone records. And that, that's one of the things that frustrates me so much that, that Gutierrez allowed that prosecutor to convince a jury that, you know, we have to believe Jay because Jay's story is corroborated by the cell phone evidence. It's, it's like, you know, obviously I'm not a lawyer and, and, you know, the millions of people listening to these podcasts aren't lawyers. And any one of us could figure out how easy it would have been to show that, his his testimony was based on the cell phone records instead of the cell phone records corroborating his testimony. Yeah, well, she, she, I mean, the evidence actually shouldn't have gotten in in the first place. Um, she didn't even object to it. She stipulated to its admission. So they got those records in without even meeting normal requirements of evidence. So had she not stipulated to it, do you think they would have been thrown out? Um, it's hard to say what would have happened then because it was, it was new and the courts didn't know what they were doing with it. Um, but now for sure she'd have a great chance of being kicked out. Those records were not kept. They're not even the records you really need for this. If you're going to try and use confrontation data, you should have, for one, incoming call numbers, not just the outgoing. Um, and you should have both towers listed rather than just the, I believe, only the starting tower. Now, is one thing that, that you mentioned that one of the things that I always wondered about that never made any sense to me is they say, well, the incoming calls, all they have is incoming from them. How is it possible that it was not that it was not possible for them to get a hold of records that showed where those incoming calls came from? Was that was that something technology that was there in 1999? They just didn't use it. Or... Oh, yeah, they could have done that. They could have gotten them. They actually got the incoming and outgoing numbers from Mr. P. So they, so they, they could do it. They, they've done it before. They just decided not to do it for Adnan. And nobody has since then, or, or, or is it even possible for anybody to get a hold They're of it? They're gone. 
They're just gone. I tried. They're gone. <laughs> that's oh, that's so frustrating. It's like that would that would paint such a different picture of the day if you had the other half of all those calls where they came from instead of them just making them up. It, it would have changed a lot <laughs> because we would have known that, that there's no incoming call from a payphone. But that's why. Right, obviously. Um, now, moving on a little bit here from I was I was going to ask you if we knew what kind of car Jen drove. Um, I'm assuming probably not because they didn't look very deeply into her. We don't. Okay, and 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 where I was kind of going with that was. Um, the autopsy reports, um, I, I watched an interview uh, that was done on the, the docket uh, with Robbie. And I, were you on that one, or was it Colin? I was me and Robbie, Okay, you and Robbie were, were on that. And uh, they were talking about in the autopsy that her body uh, had lividity on the, the front of her body, which means you know, the blood settling in the front of her body, meaning she was laying prone uh, mm-hmm. for, what is it, six to six to ten hours? More likely eight to twelve. Eight to twelve hours. She had to have been lamp prone, mm-hmm. and then, and then she was. Her body was found uh, laying on her right side. Yeah. And then uh, was. Am I also? Do I also have it right that then Jay testified that? Um, of course, again, that's Jay testimony. So you know who knows where it came from, but that she was like curled up on her right side, also in the car, in the trunk of the car. He testified that she was, and told the cops that she was pretzeled up in the trunk. So it's hard to say what that means. He said at one point her lips were blue, implying he could see her lips. And later on he says, oh, I couldn't. She was laying on her face, um, face down. So it's hard to say how she was in the trunk. In terms of how she was in the grave, he basically gives every answer in the world. The cops steer him toward on her right side. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 with Jay's stories, if you want a certain answer, go through enough transcripts and you'll find somewhere where he said it. <laughs> and I'm sure the the police at the time, if they want a certain answer, they just told him to say it. Yes, and we got it wrong. I mean, you should actually you should get a chance to read the transcript about um, the burial site, and they ask him how his body was positioned in the grave, and, and the cops like keep correcting him because he gets the wrong answer. He'll be like, oh, she was, she was on her back, and he, they say, okay, on her side, both side. <laughs> it's uh, similar to his, uh, you have two cars. <laughs> oh, yeah, so yeah. We're, we're in two yes. separate... We're in two separate cars, and I told him, hey, man, <laughs> telepathically into the other uh, vehicle. I, w- I was so glad you played those audio clips because that just that little bit right there just showed how ridiculously corrupt that whole uh, interview was going. Yes. They, I mean, I don't blame them for being frustrated, but you ha- <laughs> that's the question for me. At what point did they realize something was very, very tear-shaped with how this case was going? Yeah, and that's that's what again keeps driving me crazy. Is you know I I know what the police did, but I can't figure out why. Other than like what you said, they just they're swamped. But I mean I I I just I don't want to believe that there you know are detectives out there that are willing to throw somebody in prison for the rest of their life just so they can lower their caseload. It it drives me crazy. I mean the thing is that may have happened already with one of the detectives. That was. Seems to be what happened with Ritz, Detective Ritz. He, um, one of those earlier cases, he, uh, there was lots of evidence that a certain guy was a killer. They had lots of tips, lots of witnesses saying this is the guy that did it. And, um, they found two witnesses that they seemed to have bullied into the IDing this 18 year old kid and convicted him of murder without any other evidence beyond these two very reluctant witnesses, both of whom actually identified the same guy everyone else did first. And then they got them um, to change the testimony? 
or change who it well, was? Well, no, they, actually, in that case, the guy ended up thieving because there was so much evidence against him, apparently. Um, or so they were told. Uh, he later filed his own motion to have his sentence reconsidered or have his conviction reconsidered, and the state's attorney's office joined him in that, which is crazy. Like, if you have someone in jail writing a motion to get out, and the state's attorney's office joins in that motion, something was really, really wrong. Yeah, it, it would have to be. Um, now, out of curiosity, that that person that was that filed the motion that that got out that had this problem, uh, what was his race? Um, he was African American. Okay. Um, and do you you know there there was a, there was of course have been questions come up about whether you know, racial connotation played into this at all. And, and I and that was something that I had kind of written off as far as motive uh, a while back, but rethinking through and listening to really how badly this was handled by the police, you know, it's kind of brought the question back up in my mind again. Um, do you feel that there was, that, that race played into this with the police at all, in your opinion? Yes, absolutely. And that's all the tool they could use. I was, I, it made him a more type of suspect. They could, they could spend this yarn about, you know, it's most honor. So they definitely saw it as something they could use in getting conviction. I don't think it motivated them. I don't think they said, oh, let's go get the, you know, the Muslim-looking guy or anything. Right. But I think that they saw his race as a tool they could use for the conviction. To help with the conviction based on their, their culture even. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. that's starting to make more and more sense to me. Um, yeah. I, the last question I want to ask you, Susan, is... What is the future of Undisclosed? You know, when we had, when Serial came out, it was kind of right from the beginning. This is a serial. It's going to be weekly. It's going to be 12 episodes. And we were all waiting for, you know, the series finale. And, and for me personally, as I'm listening to Undisclosed, you know, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, which by the way, you guys almost gave me a stroke Monday when you guys had to, because <laughs> I was wait, I had some work to do out in my, my woodworking shop. And I'm like, I'm waiting till six o'clock so I can put my headphones in. No. Uh, Not there. <laughs> yeah, but but believe me, I I I totally understand. You know, having you know having this podcast and and another one as well. That the uh, the the technical side of the other end of it, once you shut the recording off, can can get can get cumbersome. So I totally get it. But um, when those epi- you know, I'm just waiting for them to come out. Then everyone that comes out, I keep thinking, is this how many more they're going to be? Is this going to go? Do you guys have a plan as far as how long this series is going to continue? Um, kind of. Um, we didn't, I, th- I think we discussed, we're definitely going through June, um, but no, we don't really have an ending, per se, that's been planned out, or, or a set number. Um, I think it's more, we're going to cover what we want to cover. Right. And once we've covered all of that, I guess we'll be with that. Okay. Um, but we're not close to that yet, so. Good, so we can still have our uh, undisclosed fix for at least a, at least another month or two, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's got to be at least five more episodes minimum um, just to cover all the topics we want that we want to, you know, um, get more in-depth in. Yeah. Now, do you have a plan? You don't have to tell me what it is, but do you guys have a plan as far as um, upcoming? I, obviously, the next one you know, but as far as, you know, the next episode's going to be about this, the next one's going to be about this, or is it kind of, you know, week by week as you start to dig up more information, you plan for the next episode? It's kind of week by week, and it's almost more so trying to organize based on our schedules and who has more time a certain week to um, take more of the legwork preparing episode and what if it's something that they've spent more time on. Um, I, next week, I think our next episode, we'll be looking at investigation. Oh, in the um, addendum or the episode four? 
in episode four. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the addendum too. You, your uh, your your teaser about Jay knowing where the car <laughs> is <laughs> had me whirling when it was. I had to, I had to back it up and listen to it two or three times to make sure I was I was I was understanding the teaser correctly. But that uh, that was the teaser, right? That uh, we may or may not in the addendum be getting information on whether or not Jay actually knew where the car was. Or on when Jay actually started talking to the cops. Oh right, yeah, and and I'm. I know you don't want to spoil it, and I don't even want to spoil it for me. I'm waiting for Christmas on Monday to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to hear what you guys have to say. Um, that was the, all the questions I had for you. I was, I know we've run a little longer than we'd planned. Do you have a few more minutes? I've got, um, I've got the stack of, uh, listener emails, and I thought maybe I could run th- through one of them with you, but if you gotta go, I understand. I know I told you it'd be a half hour and we're over that a little bit. Oh, I got time. That's cool. All right. Um, so this is, it's kind of a long one. That's why I wanted to read this one with you because we can kind of go point by point. Um, this email is from, uh, listener Claire Lynch. Uh, and she says, hi there. Love the podcast. Great job. I profusely apologize for the length of this message. Uh, we're focusing on the details that refute the information already available. So in some case, we're splitting hairs on things which aren't necessarily relevant. Let's take it back to basic means, motive, opportunity. You've mentioned how you would investigate a crime. You start with the theories and then eliminate. So here's my Don theory applying means, motive, and opportunity. She says, Hey did not pick up her cousin. We know that she took that responsibility very seriously. We can infer from that that she was she was at that time prevented from doing so by her killer. A teenage girl in her car during the day before 315 when it was still light out. Who has killed her? It's either someone she knew or a crime of opportunity. She wasn't robbed. There weren't any other similar crimes to imply that she had fallen victim to murderer, to a murderer operating in the area. There was no damage to her car to suggest a carjacking, etc. And it's pretty brazen to abduct a girl during the day, even if someone is a serial killer. She wasn't part of a high-risk group like drug addicts, so it's unlikely she came into contact with any unsavory characters. Also, she was sensible and apparently quite forthright. She'd leave if she felt threatened. So it's someone she knew. So what do you think about that as far as it being someone she knew? In terms, you know, it might have been. I mean, that's what you always look at in right. a murder case. But we cannot assume that had to be that in this case. Um, especially since, and I'm not saying it's the same person responsible, um, but we know that less than a year before Hayes' death, someone had gotten a woman from Woodlawn had left her house and disappeared by the trace and was found buried in a park near a stream after being strangled. So it can happen. Um, it happened very recently. Okay, so it, and it's, it's entirely possible that just it would be a completely random act. or a, a, I feel like, in, in, as, a, as an attorney, um, get your opinion on this, to me, strangulation always seems to me to be more of a crime of opportunity than something that's premeditated. Yes. You know, if I was, That's go- fair enough. yeah, I mean, if I was, if I was planning to kill somebody, you know, I, I think I would, you know, I'd bring a baseball bat or something. <laughs> You're not using your hands. Right. Um, all right. I'll move on to the, the next paragraph. It says we're focusing on Jay and Adnan because the police railroaded Adnan and because Jay lied so much and was so involved. Putting aside Adnan, Jay is still not a great suspect. He doesn't have motive. He doesn't have means, uh, meaning a phone and a car. And finally, when, how did he intercept Hay? Adnan himself basically alibis him. 
Jay, by his own admission, was up to no good in general. There are plenty of things which he might have wanted to, which he might want to conceal, and of course, testify against Adnan was, and of course, testifying against Adnan was his jet out, was his get out of jail free card. He didn't have to have killed Hay to want his free pass. He's a teen. He's involved with drugs, and he's right at the point where youthful misadventure can turn into a very adult stint in prison, or getting on the wrong side of people higher up in the crime food chain than him. Um, so she's, it's, it's interesting. I didn't know what you were going to say at the, you know, at the beginning of this, as far as your thoughts on Jay and Jen, but you know, it's interesting. This email is kind of seems to be going along the same uh, train of thought that you have, that it's possible they had nothing to do with it at all. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk about where Jay and Adnan were that day and who they were with and what they talked about. What if neither of them had anything to do with it? Jay knew where Hayes' car was, but couldn't the police have told him? It's a nugget of info that validates everything else he says. He was so extensively coached. Why do we think that the car wasn't just wasn't just turned up in some other way, which the detectives hid? For example, a bolo on her license plate, or a report from a report from the mall about a car which hadn't moved. Both easily swept away if needs be. They couldn't locate it for over a month. Maybe it was buried somewhere under a stack of paper in someone's desk. And feeding the info to Jay covered a mistake. He said himself he didn't know what her car looked like. Remove his knowledge of the car, and he's just an opportunist. He's happy to use his little old grandma to excuse his lies about the where and when. I don't see him having a problem using this. Maybe he lied to get himself out of a jam, thinking the golden boy Anon wouldn't be screwed over by the justice system. Likewise, maybe he's comfortable interjecting as he thinks if he wasn't actually involved, there's nothing really to worry about. Like, for example, a jury finding him a more believable suspect than the golden boy. He could easily be painted as the ringleader. He admits he had prior knowledge and was involved in her burial. Um, yeah, well, it's also, it's also possible that Jay did believe Adam was guilty. He might not have known it, but he got it. So that could have made him happier to go along with the cops' um, request when they wanted him to explain how he knew Adam had murdered her. You know, if that's true, that would that would certainly explain a lot. You know, if he was brought in and the, the police were coaching him and, and he already kind of had in his mind maybe Adnan did it. That's I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Or he'd, you know, been speculating. Maybe worked up after the cops that some guy was saying, oh, I don't kill Hay. Right. And as everyone knows, Jay lies. Yeah, that's that's the that's the hashtag, right? Jay lies. Yeah. Tap, tap, tap. All right, she goes on and says, the timeline is bogus. Most of the witness accounts are at the very least shaky. There's no physical evidence to point to either of them. The phone records, whatever way you look at them, don't solve anything. So let's rule out Jay and Adnan, for now. Then she moves on to Don. She says, Don has no alibi. His mother is not credible, especially since the work story changed and his time card did not look legit. Now, I, I saw on the Undisclosed website, you know, the, the pictures of his time card. And I guess I didn't notice anything, but I've heard a couple people talk about that. Was there something with the time cards? Uh, that didn't look legit? On my blog, I've discussed it. I've got a post about it. There are some concerning issues with time cards and how they came to be. Um, the TLDR is that the time cards didn't exist until about a week before the scheduled trial date when Prosecutor Kevin Europe made a special call to lunch crafters. Okay, okay so the, those were created as the trial got closer? They were printed out um, in October '99, just before trial. Oh, so they are—they could very well not be legit. Yeah, this definitely means he could still have been at work that day um, and been trying to shore it up by making proof to cover that up. Um, 
doesn't mean he wasn't at work, but it does mean we don't have solid proof of it. And I never talked to any of, any of the coworkers at the place he was working that day. So there's not a single eyewitness who can say he was there. Other than maybe his mother. They never talked to her either, so. Really? So, so I mean, they really yeah. just did not, even in the slightest bit, look into Don. They asked a, um, a, an employee at the other Lenscrafter store where Hay worked and where Don says he was not working on January 13th. And somehow she confirmed that he had been working at the other store. We don't know how she confirmed it or if she just, like, looked at Don and said, Hey, Don, were you at work that day? <laughs> okay. It must be true. He said so. Yeah. Okay. So we know nothing about what, where, that, where that came from or if it was verified in the slightest, but they took very little effort to make sure that he had been at work like he said he was. Okay, so that, that makes a lot more sense, um, it, and it just adds more to my frustration about why he wasn't investigated. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Um, so she, she goes on and says he knew where Hay would be and had previously convinced her to skip the match she was supposed to be scoring to spend time with him. Hay would do anything for other people. By skipping the match January 5th, she left a new girl scoring on her own. Don must have had some sway over her to convince her to abandon responsibility. I don't think you would have too much trouble getting her to meet him after school, but before picking up her cousin. Or was he already there watching her? The note left in the car was a clue, just not in the way that we think that it was. It's Hay acknowledging that Don has had her act against her own judgment. Um, and I, I hadn't really thought about it that, in, in that way. You know, I was thinking more of what happened on, on the day of the murder. Um, uh, but it's, it's the point I think that she's making here is that, uh, she skipped the, skipped the wrestling match in order to spend time with him, that he convinced her to do that so he has some control over her. See, this is why I think the parallels between Don and I'm not are so striking. You can take the exact same evidence and spend the exact same tale the other way about either of them. Um, it's like the claim that Adnan was abusive by taking a few random details and making inferences from there. Like, well, he could have been abusive if this, this letter here is read that way. And it sounds like to Don. I mean, sure, you could imply that he had some kind of control over her or that he was controlling. Um, but there isn't evidence to show that. There are, I mean, it's really kind of the same evidence the cops used to say, oh, look, Adnan had to have done it. He's the jealous, jilted ex. Right. We know it because he was sad about a breakup. <laughs> well, and it's I think it's quite a leap to take with with Don as well, considering you know that January fifth event was wasn't that four days after their first date. Yeah, their first official date. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, it, it would it would be very odd to me that someone has that much you know control over somebody in such a short period of time. I would I would assume you know having been a high school kid once long a long time ago that it was more to do that she was just head over heels for her brand new boyfriend and wanted to hang out with him. And what has been noted by several a couple of people in investigation back then is that Dawn didn't seem that into the relationship. Um, there's a few notes in the file about how. Dawn did not seem as enthusiastic as Hay based on her writings in her diary. Um, it doesn't really explain why she felt that, but there's a definite sort of feeling from looking at the record that people who talked to Dawn kind of thought that, you know, he was not the driver of the relationship. He was not the one who was really pursuing her so much. And he was maybe a little bit, not lukewarm, but he definitely wasn't feeling it to the extent she was. Well, yeah, well, and I, I think it was noted in Serial that she was, uh, I think I said flirting with him for a long time. It was interested in him for a long time before he, you know, finally agreed to go on a date date with her. So, mm-hmm. so that would that would make sense too. And and you know, it may explain away a lot of other things too. If you just, you know, he he'd been seeing this girl for a very short period of time after she had continued wanting him to go out with him. That he was, you know, like you said, you don't want to say lukewarm, but you know, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where are we at here? Okay, and then it says. All the discussion on Don focused on whether Adnan was jealous of him and not the other way around. Hay spent a lot of time with, with Adnan, her ex, because they went to school together and remained friends. Hay pursued Don and was quite open about having feelings for him. She would have come across the starry-eyed teen, and maybe, like everyone else, Don bought into the obedient Asian woman stereotype. When the relationship started, the power dynamic was in Don's favor. You know, the, I I think a lot of this this one is just getting to the point where it's very, very speculative and, and uh, taking some leaps. I mean, I, I don't know if you agree with any of that there. It, it's just striking to me just how similar the same narrative can, can be spun out um, about Don. And it, it, I mean, the details are different, but you can reach the same result if you're trying to get on a path. And I have no doubt that the police decided that Don was a better target, and they could have gotten the same amount of evidence against him. Right, and maybe could have used some of these same points to do the same thing to Don that they did to Don. Yeah. So she says, what if Don became insecure when Hay was not easily controlled, uh, when Hay was not as easily controlled as he would have expected? Under pressure from Don, just like the night of the game, she meets him after school, but she picked up her cousin. He wasn't working that day, so she, so he could have been anywhere. She didn't finish work till 10 p.m., so that's a long time to wait to see her for their date after. Plus, she's already in trouble for breaking curfew the night before. Would she do it again on a school night after arguing with her mother about this? That afternoon, she can't stay long as she as she has to get her cousin at a specific time. If he was becoming too demanding, this might be the point that Hay would say that she has other responsibilities. Unlike the game, she would never blow off. She would never blow off collecting her cousin. And, and you know, and that's a lot of these things that we're uh, reading in a lot of these emails. You know, that's kind of what what our what our show is is really about is just people having ideas and throwing them out there and it's just need, need to have you on the on the on the phone to kind of throw your two cents into it but you know i personally this theory doesn't doesn't really pan out for me or at least i don't think that there's i don't think there's enough evidence there to speculate that far to have this much of a you know detailed narrative as to what happened and that's kind of what happened in this case there was a theory before there was evidence yeah that's I mean, the theory was developed that adnan was the possibly Islamically motivated ex-boyfriend who wanted to kill his ex. And all evidence was seen and processed under that lens. Yeah, so they they found they try to use evidence to fit their speculation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Sounds good. I mean, if, if Jay and Adnan had nothing to do with it, the whole world opened up. It needs to be done from the beginning in terms of investigation. So there's no, I mean, there's no one person that should be focused on. They need to go back to the beginning. Right, start all over. And unfortunately, that back at the beginning was 15 years ago, and most of the evidence is inaccessible now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think that that we'll ever get to the bottom of it? Maybe. I think there's probably not a great chance, but I think it's a real chance. And I think that the DNA is far and away the best bet. Yeah, the the DNA that was never tested in '99. If they can still find it, is is there still? I think that's the best clue. Is is there still any um, record or in evidence the the fingerprint that was taken off of the rearview mirror? I hope so. I hope it's next to the DNA somewhere. Yeah, because you know, I wonder even if that was, you know, because I, I I think I had read that they had run it against Adon and run it against Hay and run it against Jay and it didn't match any of those three, but those were the only three that they checked it against. Is that correct? Yes, there were two prints on the rearview mirror and they matched that one. Yeah, and I would think if they could take the same fingerprint. With today's technology and today's database, uh, I would think they'd have a lot better chance of uh, very quickly finding out who that belonged to. Yes, and fortunately, it's not, and they never hands over the prints themselves, so the defense does not have the prints. Presumably, they're in evidence with everything else, and supposedly it was all destroyed. Um, but as we discussed on serial, just because they say it's destroyed doesn't mean it actually is. Right. That that to me is a is a big clue that I would just. It, it drives me crazy thinking if they could just get a hold of that because, you know, in now today's society, you know, it's not just a criminal would have their fingerprints on record. A school teacher, a firefighter, a police officer, um, anybody that's ever got a concealed weapons permit. There's there's so many things that you have to be uh, fingerprinted for now to have your fingerprints in the in the system. The, the possibility of getting a match would be, I mean, how long would it take just to run it? I mean... And it's not just that one print. We have, I believe, I counted once, I don't remember offhand. I think there's 22 unaccounted for prints all over the car and the contents of the car. Wow. And they just, you know, I guess they, well, I guess they already had their guy, so they didn't really. Yeah. They weren't really well, the too... worst part is, yeah, the closing arguments, Yurik argued that you know that Adon did it because all the prints in the car belonged to him, which is a straight up lie because they, they didn't. There was 22 or something close to that that were not Adnan's and not accounted for. Just an absolute lie. That's, yeah. And yeah. That's, you know, I, I really hope this ineffective assistance counsel works because I, I've never even heard of a clear case of a defense attorney not doing their job. Like, just to let him get away with that. It's, the problem is, it's on the appeal, it's so limited. I mean, yes, she was obviously incompetent and she did not, she she screwed him over in so many ways in terms of his defense. But all of that's not for the court. The court is very discrete issues to look at. So, unfortunately, um, even though if you're looking at everything together, it'd be pretty easy to show she was ineffective, it's a harder case to make when you have, you know, yeah, specific, to look at. Specific burdens yeah. that, you have to, that you have to prove. Yeah, and that's that's what's frustrating, too, because if I understand the system correctly, you can't go into this, this hearing in June and, and just, you know, show them how Adnan's innocent. They don't care, right? You just no, have, of course not. It doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> It doesn't matter if he's innocent. It's, it's totally meaningless. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, hopefully that goes well. I'm not going to, I know this, this, this is running long and I'm not going to read through all this, but basically she gets in, she goes into how she believes Don had the motive, the means and the opportunities to do it. And, and n- none of it's a theory that I can say rule out any more than I can rule it in because there's no real, it's, it's, it's all speculative. 
one note that I did have um, written on the side of this, she mentioned the anonymous tip-off about Adnan, and, and this is the, the last thing I want to ask you before I let you go. Um, what's What struck me in Serial when they talked about the anonymous caller that said check into Adnan was the fact that the memo that was given to the police said it was an Asian male between 18 and 21 years old. How in the world would they know an anonymous caller that they're an Asian male? I mean, maybe you could say an accent there, but then to put an age 18 to 21 years old. And why would you make that leap just to pass a memo that they got a call? It would have to be an accent, which rules out most people who could have possibly called. Because, you know, most of Adon's friends and people he knew, I mean, it wouldn't have been someone you'd write down after a phone call, Asian male. Right. And the 18 to 21, does that make any sense to you? Yeah, maybe he's making a good guess. Um, <laughs> you no, know, it doesn't make any sense. I, you know, I, I could see an officer trying to be specific and writing down some sort of guesses like that. So it's not, you know, conclusive, but yeah, no, I have my doubts. Yeah. And, and I guess where I'm getting at my speculative theory on that is, did that call ever even happen? Could have, could have not, just as easily. I mean, they, so we... Basically, when you open the call, they knew three things, kind of. They knew that Yasser and Adnan were friends. They knew Yasser's phone number, and they knew what school he Yasser went to. And supposedly, they knew about a conversation that Adnan and Yasser had had. But you know, that could have been made up by whoever made the call or didn't make the call. Right. So people would know. It's a small pool. Unfortunately, it brings us back to the same two options. Um, Jay knew that Adnan and Yasser were friends. But Jay probably wouldn't have known Yasser's cell phone number. Um, the cops, they're, you know, without going into detail, there's a good chance the cops could have known who Adnan's phone had been calling. Okay. Fairly early on. So they would have had Yasser's number that way. And once they have the number, they can find the address and find the school. Okay, so that 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 makes a little more sense to me that there's at least in the realm of, poss- realm of possibilities that um, that anonymous call didn't come in the way that they said that it came in, or at all. Yeah, and but we don't know enough to know either way. Um, because, you know, if Jay could have found... Jay and Yasser had mutual friends. So if Jay wanted to find Yasser's number to call in a tip, or to have someone call in a tip, he could have done it. Right, yeah, that would have been easy enough. Well, my... Uh, uh, 30-minute conversation is an hour, so I want to thank you uh, again for calling and being gracious enough to stay on the phone with me for an hour. No worries. Uh, and I'm sure the the listeners will, too, and hopefully Claire has a little thrill that uh, Susan Simpson replied to her <laughs> <laughs> to her email theory. So I will let you go. I'm, I'm looking forward to Monday's episode of Undisclosed, and uh, maybe as things move on, maybe we'll get a chance to chat again. Yeah, looking forward to hearing you on Sunday. <laughs> awesome. Great. Thanks, Susan. Bye. Yeah, bye. All right, now as we move on with the rest of the show, first of all, I want to apologize for the sound quality with Susan on the phone. That It's just the nature of the beast, the way the phone is hooked into my soundboard. Uh, that's the best I can get as far as a connection on a, on a phone interview. It's something I'm looking into upgrading, uh, which leads me, before we move on to reading the rest of the listener emails, I wanted to at least let you listeners know and be aware of the fact that I have put a donate button on the SerialDynasty.com website. Uh, and if you choose to go there and click on that link, uh, it will take you to my company's website, which is fireseminars.com. 
So you'll notice if you click that, it's not just going directly to PayPal or anything like that. I already have an online store set up through Fire Seminars for registering for classes and things like that. And it's a secure site where you can use uh, any major credit card. So I just used that instead of using a, a PayPal link. Um, no sense in paying more fees to PayPal when I already have uh, the infrastructure set up on our website. Uh, the reason I put it up there is um, as this podcast is gaining in popularity, which it's doing very, very quickly, um, it starts to get very, very expensive. A really good problem to have is the fact that I'm getting so many downloads of the Serial Dynasty podcast that it is very quickly eating up the bandwidth that I purchased for the podcast. Um, just Sunday when episode two dropped, I had to go online and buy more bandwidth twice just to keep up with all of the downloads. So I, I want to assure you, um, as this is getting more expensive, the show will go on. Um, uh, it's something I'm absolutely willing to pay for as we get further and bigger, but uh, there's some studio upgrades I need to make in order to keep the quality up and be able to do things like that phone interview, the website, and the bandwidth, and all of that. Just It starts to add up pretty quickly, so um, I just want to let you know that that opportunity is there. If you if you like the show and you and, and you want to help with the cause, uh, that's an opportunity for you to do that. You can go on SerialDynasty.com, click the Donate button. You can donate a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, a thousand dollars. 50 cents, whatever it is you want, whatever it is that you can spare or you want to donate to help us move forward with this. It's really greatly appreciated. Um, but I, I just do want to make clear that it's not necessary. I'm not going to stop doing this if those donations don't come in. It's just something to try to help offset the expense of running this podcast, giving listeners with the, the means and the desire to help out the opportunity to do that. So you can click that donate button. And the other way you can help us out, too, is through our sponsor, audible.com. Um, it actually does help us out a lot. If you want to go get a free audiobook, just go to audibletrial.com slash Serial Dynasty. Click the link. You can go ahead and go on that site and download a free audiobook, and you get a free book, and that does help us out, too. So those are a couple ways you can help us out as far as just contributing to the cause to keep this thing going if that's something that you want to do. So moving forward with the money begging in the middle, which I, I, I apologize for. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I'm uncomfortable doing it, but, but I wanted to at least put it out there. So at least I can tell my wife I'm making an effort <laughs> to try to offset some of these costs. So moving forward with listener emails. First up, I have Jasmine from New York. Jasmine says, your theory sounds great, but it is weird to think that Jen would want to kill Hay and not say anything. Girls talk a lot, and Jen had to confide in someone. Maybe she confided in Stephanie because of the guilt she had with her and Jay hooking up. That would make sense as to why Jay is still in contact with Stephanie to make sure she won't talk. However, I still bet Don had something to do with it. His alibi is covered by his own mother. He didn't page Hay when she was missing, but instead had a seven-hour conversation with her friend. It just doesn't sound right. Jasmine, New York. Uh, thanks, Jasmine, for that. You know, I, I had printed off and read all these emails in preparation for this episode, uh, knowing that I was going to have the interview with Susan Simpson, and I didn't know that Susan was going to kind of throw a, throw a kink into my, into my thoughts and theories of my own, uh, with her saying that, you know, she, being one of the lead investigators on this, is starting to feel that it's very possible that Jay and Jen had nothing to do with it, kind of just throws, spins everything out of control, um, I'm still with you. I'm not comfortable with Don, especially getting the new information, uh, new information to me anyway, from Susan, 
that Don's time card wasn't created and printed until until months after uh, the murder took place and just right before the trial. So and and still have the issue with the not calling or paging or anything like that. So so I'm with you there. Next, I have an email from Dara from Toronto, Canada. Hey, Bob, really enjoy what you're doing on your podcast and got to love keeping the phenomenon going. Echoing the sentiments of everyone else, episode three of Undisclosed was stunning in every sense. Something that I've always thought about was why Adnan would have lent his car and cell phone that day. On all accounts for multiple parties, it didn't seem like they were close enough friends to have that sort of trust relationship. I think that either Adnan owed Jay money for drugs or that Jay was holding something over Adnan's head. Some sort of threat that would force Adnan to lend him out. After hearing yesterday's episode of Undisclosed, I'm starting to think that it's entirely possible that Jay wasn't even involved in the burial of Hay's body and that the police negotiated a deal for his admission of guilt on that account with a guarantee that there would be no jail time or punishment. Keep it coming. Great job, Dara from Toronto, Canada. More and more listeners are coming to the same conclusion that Susan came to, which is that it's it's actually plausible that Jay had nothing to do with this at all. Thank you, Dara, for that email. Keep them coming. Appreciate it. Our next email is from Megan. Her Twitter handle is smartassy 534 says, Good morning, Bob. First and foremost, I love the podcast and thank you for the follow and the Twitter post likes. Secondly, I want to throw out a theory or two and vent a little bit about episode three and the whole case in general. I apologize for any profanity in advance. And that's okay. Uh, um, earmuffs, everyone. She says, after listening to episode three, I literally had to take a minute to collect myself. I was so hyped up about Jay's interview with the police that I needed to run around the block a few times. How could anyone back in 1999 listen to this and not see that Jay was being fed a story by the police? I want to know who heard this interview and who in their right mind thought that this is normal. From the first episode of Serial that played Jay's statements to the police, I knew something was off. Granted, being interviewed by police would be terrifying to anyone involved with such a situation. But come on, even Sarah on Serial said the police were patient and coached him through his statements. But she said it so casually, like this was normal or something. Are you kidding me? Now that being said, I do not believe Adnan is innocent just because Jay was fed his elaborate story. Let's say that Jay told the truth about Adnan being the murderer. Is it possible that the police thought Jay's truthful rendition wasn't enough to convince a jury that Adnan did it? Maybe Jay's actual story didn't really match the evidence. So in turn, they, the police officers, created a new story that matched all the evidence that they had and chose to bully Jay into their version. Food for thought. Now, my theory on why Adnan could have killed Hay. Like I tweeted, maybe Hay found out that Adnan was getting a little too comfy. Maybe even caught Stephanie stepping out, as the Goots would say. There was air quotes there. On Jay. Maybe Hay was the one that went a little stage five crazy ex-girlfriend and confronted Adnan. Threatened to tell Jay about it, and Adnan snapped and killed her. What if Hay provided the motive? Ah, total game changer in my mind. I mean, knowing what we know about Hay, she was a vivacious, persistent, and not afraid to take crap kind of girl. What would she have done if she found out that her close friend Stephanie was hooking up with her ex-boyfriend? Total break in the girl code, right? I'm sure your wife would contest the rules of girl code if you're not familiar, lol. Maybe that is why Stephanie hasn't come forward to talk. Because if she did, that would open up a whole new can of worms. What if Stephanie holds the key to all of this? I'd love to hear your wife's thoughts on my theory. So there's that. Would love to get a shout-out or response from you regarding this. Well, smartassy 534 here's your shout-out. Um, and I did run that by my wife, and she said, Are you talking about your stupid podcast again? 
she has not listened to serial. Um, uh, she tells me she is a music fan and doesn't like to listen to people talk on the radio. However, when I mentioned to her that Sean T was tweeting at me the other day, that did get her attention. So, uh, I will, I will let her know again that smartassy 534 really wants her commentary on this. And maybe I'll have a response for you next week. Thank you for the email. All right. My next email is from Flo in Los Angeles, California. Hi, Bob. So I've listened to the serial twice already and all the other podcasts. I just listened to Undisclosed Jay's Day. But here's my question. How come we don't know much about Jen? Her and Jay were super close, right? Almost too close considering he had a girlfriend. Why don't we know her timeline? Doesn't seem like the cops really looked into her. Plus she helped Jay get rid of evidence, but she wasn't charged with anything. Tampering with evidence? Anything? And we also find that she didn't like Hay. It sounds like they should have gone after her too, but nothing. My theory is that Jay and Jen did it. Thought I would share. Just started listening to your podcast. Actually, just started the second one as I'm starting to write you. Excited to see what you have in store for us. Thanks, Flo from Los Angeles, California. Well, Flo, after you uh, wrote this email and continued to listening to my episode number two, I'm sure that you were pleasantly surprised that I also uh, think that there's a distinct possibility that Jen and Jay were in on this together. Um, as you heard earlier in this episode, Susan is, is, is starting to think there's a possibility that neither of them had anything to do with it. Susan would probably know more, well, I, I, Susan would absolutely know more than I do on this, but, um, I, I'm still not ready to take that leap. I think it's a, it's a big stretch to say that, you know, they completely fabricated the whole thing and have nothing to do with it. Um, it's, it's definitely a possibility and I'm really interested to see as Undisclosed goes on and, and, and Susan and Robbie and Colin go further with this, uh, where the evidence comes from to back that up. And I'm sure they have some, but right now, if I had to, if, if I had to pick a theory right now, my theory is exactly what you just said. I think Jen and Jay definitely played a major role in this. So thank you again for your email flow. All right. And my last email for the day is from Stephanie Grant. Stephanie says, Hey there. First, thanks for doing the podcast. Love it. Also love that you are a fireman. My father's a retired fire chief, so thank you for your service. Um, you're welcome, and thank your father as well. Uh, not sure of my theory yet, but I think you are on to something. Just a couple thoughts. Number one, Jay's day was mind-blowing. Whoa. <laughs> I, I agree that uh, I, there has yet to be an undisclosed episode that's been released that hasn't pretty much blown my mind. Uh, number two, just read A's interview with The Intercept from December 2014. I didn't know Adnan was an EMT. The first thing that popped in my head was, an EMT would have a lot of medical knowledge, which didn't help my thoughts about Adnan, but I really don't think he did it. Uh, yeah, I don't think he did it either, and um, you know, I, I'm an EMT myself too, and of course work with a lot of them, and I think that you know Sarah kind of made that leap too, or, or she she mentioned it in Serial. Um, from my experiences, being an EMT doesn't make you any better or worse at strangling people. You know, there was, I must have missed the day they taught how to strangle your girlfriend in EMT class because that, that wasn't a topic that I remember. Um, I think, I think you could get more training on how to strangle somebody from watching TV than you would from your EMT class. So I, I don't, I really don't think that plays in my opinion. Number three, I almost felt bad for Jay after reading his interview, but then I listened to the undisclosed podcast again and that changed. I thought as a timing that this comes out about the Baltimore Police Department. With all the unrest there recently, this really doesn't help. I just wonder how many times this has happened. Anyway, can't wait for your next episode. Keep up the great work, Stephanie. Thank you very much, Stephanie, for your email, and thank you for all of you listeners for the emails that you've sent in. Um, I know I didn't get to all of them today, um, and and unfortunately, 
with you know the the thousands of listeners that we have now and all the all the participation that we're getting i'm i'm sure i'm not going to be able to read every single email on the air so you know i i i want you to know that i do read them all every one of them and i try to take my best selection for what will make good material on the show but keep them coming, and if you've got a sound theory or some good thoughts, uh, I'll be sure to get them on the show and, and read them. Another good place to keep in touch with me is on Twitter at, at Serial Dynasty. Um, that's a nice place because I get nice short uh, tweets from people. You know, 140 characters or less is a little easier for me to read than a two-page letter that, that sometimes, even with interesting content, can sound like it's droning on and on when I'm reading off of a piece of paper. So uh, if you've got quick thoughts, always shoot them over to me on Twitter at Serial Dynasty. And that is going to bring us to the conclusion of the show today. Normally, I like to end with my personal theory on the case. um, But I think through the interview with Susan, uh, most of my thoughts got out there. And she's also given me a lot more to think about that I need to kind of parse through. So, Susan, if you're listening to this, I want to thank you one more time for being so gracious as to come on the show and uh, spending almost an hour with us uh, to talk about the case. It's been really enlightening and it was a pleasure to talk to you. Remember, listeners, that this show is based on you. So if you have thoughts, theories, and ideas, email them to me at theories at SerialDynasty.com. That's theories at SerialDynasty.com. And, of course, you can get all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. You can listen to them on our website, SerialDynasty.com, which is also the place to go. As I mentioned before, if you want to donate to the show, just click the white and blue donate button, and that's easy enough to do. Also, thanks again to our sponsor, Audible.com, for helping to sponsor the show today. Uh, that link again to get your free audiobook is audibletrial.com slash Serial Dynasty. There's also a link on the SerialDynasty.com webpage. Uh, when you see the button that says get your free audiobook, you click there. That will take you to the same place uh, as the website that I just read to you. And again, keep in contact with me on Twitter, at Serial Dynasty. Um, I spend... I have been spending an inordinate amount of time on Twitter. Uh, it's been really cool being able to chat back and forth with a lot of you on there. So um, if you have some thoughts or ideas, go ahead and shoot me a message on Twitter, at Serial Dynasty. Don't forget that tomorrow, Monday evening at 6 p.m., the next undisclosed addendum number three should drop in. It sounds like there's going to be some pretty groundbreaking information in that. So make sure you tune into the Undisclosed Podcast tomorrow at 6 p.m. And until next time, I'm Bob, and this has been the Serial Dynasty Podcast.